You're listening to a chapel message from Trinity Christian College, recorded live at the Ozinga Chapel Auditorium in Palos Heights, Illinois. Good morning, Trinity Christian College. Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. We are here at the end of week number four of the semester, believe it or not. If we were running the mile on the track together, we would have one lap down. And one lap into a mile is about the time your lungs start to burn just a little bit. But we are in this thing together, and it has been good to be together this fall. I also want to say welcome to our guests today. We are very honored that you are with us and joining us for what's been a really excellent uh, chapel theme that Pastor Ben has been leading us through this fall. We've been talking about life at the table and we've been working, as he said, through the Gospel of Luke and noticing that Jesus all the time is showing up at tables. There is so much that happens at the table in the Gospel of Luke. And we know from our own lives that tables can be places of joy. They can be places of friendship. They are places of sustenance. And when Jesus shows up at the table, we keep seeing it becomes a table of life becomes a table of abundance, becomes a table of belonging. And I think you might say that Jesus is at work in the world making every single table a table of the Lord. That's one thing Jesus is up to. But this morning's text is, at first glance at least, a really different kind of table. In fact, no table at all can be seen in the text. I wanted to actually publicly thank Pastor Ben for giving me the one table text that has no table. Uh, I thought, is this guy mad at me? But uh, I've been so grateful to have the chance to dwell in this text for a while now and to come this morning and to think with you a little bit about what it means that Jesus keeps patiently setting the table for us. Jesus keeps patiently setting the table for us. And why is table setting for Jesus an act of patience? Why is it an act of patience? Well, here is a stark, a stark claim from Luke's gospel. You know, almost everybody in the gospel of Luke gets Jesus wrong. Almost everybody gets Jesus wrong. That was an unsettling conclusion for me to come to as I sat with this text over the last couple of weeks. Almost everybody at one level gets Jesus wrong. It's unsettling because I wonder, why should I think about myself that I might be any different? It's a little bit of an unsteady place to start from. It's a little bit of a buzzkill introduction as well to a chapel talk. And this is actually a text, this Luke chapter 10 text that has staggeringly good news inside of it. It has staggeringly good news inside of it. But to get to that good news, we have to walk through this kind of inescapable observation that just about everybody gets Jesus wrong in one way or another. So let's give it a shot. If we zoom out just a little bit from this section of Luke and we look at Luke chapter 9, which if you were in chapel on Wednesday, we did a little bit of thinking about Luke chapter 9 and the feeding of the 5,000. In Luke chapter 10, you could see that chapter 9 and chapter 10 are kind of echoes of one another. In both texts, Jesus sets a really particular kind of table for his followers. And in both texts, almost everybody gets Jesus wrong. 
So let me explain what I mean. In Luke chapter 9, the chapter begins with Jesus and his closest followers. Luke calls them the 12. We call them the disciples. Later, we call them the apostles. Luke goes to the 12, those who are closest to him, and he invites them to participate in the work of bringing his kingdom. And so he sends them out in pairs to do works of healing, to do works of liberation, to reach to those who are marginalized, to extend flourishing. But they are sent out with complete vulnerability. In chapter 9, Jesus says, hey, go out, take no money, Take no bread, take no purse, take no cloak, take no extra anything. And they're sent out in the name of Jesus, and they do acts of healing. They deliver people from demons. And when they come back, they get to see Jesus feed the 5,000, and then they get to hear Jesus predict for the first time in the Gospel of Luke his death and his resurrection. And then some of them get to go up on a mountain with Jesus for what the church calls the transfiguration, and they see the glory of God shine through Jesus Christ. They see so much about Jesus. And then they start arguing about which of Jesus' best friends are the greatest. And then they have this moment where they go to Jesus and they tattle because someone over there who's part of the not one of us group is doing work in your name, Jesus. And then they go to Jesus and say, hey, why don't you let us call down fire from heaven to destroy this village that won't receive us? It's not like the best moment for the 12. They get Jesus really wrong. And at each of those moments, Jesus corrects, adjusts, rebukes them. And then he benches them. I know this because I've been benched a few times in my life. He benches them. At the beginning of Luke chapter 10, you heard it in the text, Jesus sends out 72 others. In fact, the Greek text is others of a different kind. So the disciples get Jesus wrong, and he's like, why don't you all just wait right over here, and I'm going to send out 72 others. And right off the bat, he says, and guess what, you 72? You're going to need a bigger team, so pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out more workers. But then you catch that echo with chapter 9. Jesus says, and so go out in pairs. Don't take anything with you. Don't take a purse. Don't take a bag. Don't take an extra cloak. Don't take any sandals. He sends them out so vulnerably, so vulnerably. It's just like in chapter 9. And they go out and they do this work of healing and they free people from the oppression of demons and they come back to Jesus and they're like a proud little kid who's just learned a new trick and they're like, check out what we can do. The demons submit to us. And Jesus corrects them. Jesus corrects them. He says, don't rejoice at what you think you can accomplish, but rejoice instead that you are named before me and that you are known in the heavens. Almost everybody gets Jesus wrong. Almost everybody takes what they know about Jesus in this part of the gospel or what they think they can do because of Jesus and they feed it back through their ways of thinking about the world or about themselves. The disciples, they get confused and they think it's about greatness. Or they think it's about their exclusive Jesus Club. Or they think it's about destroying anyone who disagrees. We see a little bit of that these days. 
The 72, they think it's about their skills. Look what we can do. Almost everybody gets Jesus wrong, but then Jesus does something so deeply and remarkably patient. This moment of the gospel, the same hour Jesus rejoiced in the spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things from the wise and the intelligent, and you've revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, this was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. And then, turning to his disciples, benched, Jesus said to them privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see, but didn't see it, and hear what you hear, but didn't hear it. So listen to this word of good news. Almost everybody gets Jesus wrong. And Jesus keeps patiently setting the table. And the table Jesus keeps setting is a very particular kind of table. Jesus keeps offering what they needed. He won't give up on them. You heard it in the duplication of that command. You know, that's a tip and trick for reading the Bible. When there's repetition, it's the author cranking up the volume. Jesus sends out the 12 and says, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. When you enter there, someone will take care of you. To the 72, no purse, no bag, no sandals. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking whatever they provide. Jesus sends people towards an invisible table, toward a table they can't predict, towards a table they can't carry with them in their backpack. He sends them to the kind of table that's designed to keep his followers close to God. Jesus sets a table that's designed to keep us close to him. He sends his friends out with nothing. They can do nothing for themselves. He sends them out to tables that will keep them close to him. In fact, I think the table Jesus sets in Luke 9 and 10 is a table of our own insufficiency. It's a table of our complete vulnerability. It's a table of stay close to the God who will make a way for you because you cannot provide for yourself. And when the 12 and the 72 get Jesus wrong, it's actually because they move away from that insufficiency. They move away from that vulnerability and they start to think that somehow the story is about them. It's about their greatness. It's about their exclusive club, just them and Jesus. It's about their power. They've missed the gift of the table that Jesus sets. A table that keeps on reminding them that Jesus wants to feed them in a way that keeps them close. In a way that says, venture into the unknowing and trust that what you need will be there for you. In that way, it's a double gift because they are fed and they are close to the Lord Jesus. And when they mess up, when they get things wrong, Jesus sets the table again. When the 12 mess up, he sets it again and sends out the 72. When the 72 mess up, he sets it again. And he sets it in this way by saying, stay close to me and keep watching. 
Let your wrong ideas about me be unworked by the fact that I, in my being with you, reveal the life of God. Jesus keeps patiently setting the table, and it's in the most unlikely ways. And I so love it that after the twelve screw up and get sidelined, he turns to them privately, and he doesn't give up. He says, hey, blessed are your eyes that you are seeing this. Blessed are your ears that you are hearing this. Because you are hearing what people have yearned to hear. You are seeing what people have yearned to see since the world first went so wrong. Blessed are your eyes that you're seeing this. Look what I'm setting before you. In Trinity, Jesus is making himself known to us. I mean, that is a simple but key point for today. Jesus is making himself known to us by his life and his death and his resurrection and ascension. Jesus is making himself known to us by pouring out the Holy Spirit for us. Jesus is making himself known to us in the Holy Scriptures, read in community which bear witness to Jesus' life. Jesus is making himself known to us in the church across the continents and across the centuries. Jesus is making himself known to us. That's present tense in the worship of God's people. Jesus is making himself known to us. And in a text where everyone gets Jesus wrong, Jesus just keeps saying, would you just look to me to see what God is like? Jesus keeps patiently setting a table for us that keeps us close to him, that reminds us of our vulnerability, that we can't feed ourselves and that we cannot teach ourselves. But what makes all the difference is whether or not we will stay close enough to Jesus to be within earshot, to receive what the host sets out. Because I think here is the challenge of the text this morning and what we see in our own lives, that if you do not stay close to the Jesus who keeps on making himself known, the living Jesus who keeps on making himself known, then you are pretty likely to make Jesus into an avatar for your own agenda, for your own interests, for your own ideologies, even for your own theologies. And I know that's true because I've done it a lot when I've stepped away from Jesus and then I just use Jesus to baptize whatever I think is right. The disciples do that in Luke 9. The 72 do that in Luke 10. And if we're not close to Jesus, we do that all the time. And we do it in ways that are underscored quite often by a sense of our own self-righteousness, actually. But the table of vulnerability that Jesus sets for us. Go out and be provided for. Listen to me. I will show you what God is like. That is there because in all actuality, we cannot provide for ourselves. We cannot provide for the world. We cannot make the world right. We cannot teach ourselves. That table is designed to feed us even when it doesn't look possible. It's designed to keep us close to Jesus. It's designed to keep us within hearing range of Jesus. That table, Jesus just keeps patiently setting. And I think it's how Jesus says to us, my beloved child, this is the food that's good for you. My beloved child, there's a better way. My beloved child, you're confused about me. My beloved child, I've set the table again. So come and feast with me. 
So Trinity community, beloved by God, here's the takeaway. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close to Jesus. Stay close enough to receive what Jesus offers at the table. Stay close enough to Jesus to let Jesus correct, redirect your presumptions about God, about others, about the world. Stay close enough to Jesus to let Jesus keep making himself known to you. Stay close enough to Jesus by practicing prayer alone and with others, by reading the stories of Jesus alone and with others. Stay close to Jesus by worshiping alone and with others. Stay close to Jesus by coming to the table with people in this community. Stay close to Jesus because he is so patiently setting the table for us. He is so patiently setting the table for us and giving us what we need and keeping us blessedly close to him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. Friends, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Thank you for listening to Trinity Christian College's Chapel Podcast. To learn more about campus ministries at Trinity, visit trnty.edu slash chapel.